Welcome to the Frontline Gastroenterology podcast discussing the recently published paper in June 2022, The Role of Endoscopy in Patients with Familial Adenomatous Polyposis. My name is Dr. Aditi Kumar, the trainee associate editor of Frontline Gastroenterology and specialist gastroenterology trainee in the West Midlands. I would like to extend a very warm welcome to Professor Andrew Hopper, who will be participating in our podcast today. Professor Andrew Hopper is a consultant gastroenterologist at the Royal Hallamshire Hospital in Sheffield, UK, and he's also an honorary professor at the University of Sheffield. He specializes in gastrointestinal and liver diseases with numerous publications to his name. Firstly, thank you very much for being here with me to discuss the topic of familial adenomatous polyposis, which we are all aware is a hereditary autosomal dominant condition with a very high risk for gastrointestinal cancer when you don't have appropriate upper and lower GI surveillance and intervention in place. This is something we all learn about in medical school but come across very rarely. Can you tell us why this is such an important condition to be aware of? Okay, well, yeah, thank you very much for having me today. And um and given the chance really to emphasize the importance of this uh, review article. And as you say, it comes along and uh, I think what people do get a little bit um, worried about is that this is a specialist condition where patients are well educated now from um, a young age because of improvement in genetic testing, counseling and setup of services to help identify patients with polyposis syndrome, especially familial uh, uh, familial adult polyposis. And what what is happening now is that patients are uh, getting identified better. They're getting brought into adult services with better um, ideas of expectations and planning and as part of a team. And I think the main thing is really is that we know now with really good perspective and studies and um, registries, uh, both in the UK and, and in Europe, is that if we actually keep patients um, under regular follow-up and keep patients um, in our, our close proximity and make them part of a, a surveillance programme, is that we make a really big difference to their outcomes. And obviously that dreaded outcome of cancer, whether it be colorectal or small bowel or duodenal, is now well um, uh, identified. And the difference that we make by just keeping patients in uh, surveillance programmes, we're able to reduce I suppose about tenfold, especially from colorectal cancer and by keeping patients and allowing them to timely surgery. And it's the same almost with duodenal cancer as well, because the patients we're now, because of the success of surveillance programs, patients are becoming older and we're seeing that the, the um, other complexities now that develop, which is small bowel and duodenal cancer and actually keeping um the surveillance programs going from this point of view, we now know that we can really make a difference uh, as well from that respect because uh, waiting for cancer to develop from the duodenum can be a very significant condition to treat surgically and, um, and with significant morbidity and mortality. So I think we need to be aware of it. And although the prevalence is about one in 10,000 and you may feel that your service or endoscopy unit that you work in may uh, have a, a limited number of patients, they, um, they are there and they are living longer. So you're uh, now due to the success of um, surveillance programmes. So I think having a good idea um, and having reference to something to re-educate yourself because you may not see a patient for a few years uh, intermittently, re-educating yourself before seeing a patient is really important. So it's really key to make sure that we're up to date with um, how, how to manage patients with FAP. 
Great. So in your review paper, you also talked about the different variants of polyposis. Could you just um, expand on that briefly and just talk about how they may present in patients to us? Yes. I think when we talk about genetics, people start getting a little bit worried and thinking about membership exams and sometimes get overwhelmed, especially by um, abbreviations, um, which become multiple very quickly. But I think the main thing is to remember is Patients with um, FAP are generally the um, autosomal dominant mutation of the adult polyposis coli gene. And in most patients, that has a very classic phenotype of um, 100 polyps in the colon, over 100 polyps in the colon, sometimes carpet in the colon, that develop um, anytime between the ages of 12 up to about 18. There is an attenuated version of about 10% of patients, and these are people who present later. And they usually, um, on screening tests, find that the colon looks normal for a number of years. And it's not till about age 25 uh, that people actually find that they start developing polyps. And it usually means that, as well as that the risk of colorectal cancer is offset as well. The interesting thing about these uh, patients is that they also have a proximal predominance of polyps. So we don't really rely on flexible sigmoidoscopy to survey patients with um, familial adult polyposis. And we use colonoscopy because of that variation in phenotype. The other phenotype as well which overlaps uh, is the recessive MUTYH polyposis or MAP polyposis. And that is, is, is recessive, not dominant. Um, it has a later presentation and it's very similar to the presentation that attenuated FAP has. So it is very important to classify which genotype patients have um, because of how we survey them, uh, the risks. We don't want to over-survey patients, of course, and it's very important from genetic counselling as well to how, um, how their disease will behave, how siblings' disease will behave and how their children's disease may behave. So those are the three um, three key sort of, um, I suppose, phenotypes and genotypes that we need to know about. Great. Thank you for that. So moving on, I was reading how the literature recommends um, prophylactic colorectal surgery in patients who carry the APC gene mutation. Now, considering endoscopy surveillance should start at the age of 12, when should these patients be advised to undergo surgery? It's Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important that patients, when... Uh, they are identified and when they start surveillance is undergo, I suppose it's the multidisciplinary assessment with uh, supportive you know, genetics, surgeon, endoscopist, and also um, you know, specialist uh, nursing team. Most largest uh, you know, cancer centres will have, especially, especially sort of family history nurse who has um, a, a keen interest in, in patients to start, uh, who will know the patients and know and know the history as well. But the um, cancer um, can develop any time from the age of 12, although it's very rare. I mean, patients under the, although we say the most likely sort of time period is really between about sort of age 35, the, the timing, the, the uh, risk of cancer sort of increases steadily up to them with nearly 100% of patients with FAP developing cancer by the time they're 40. So what we tend to do is we look on the appearance and it's, it's all about change. And I think this is why really important, and we may talk about this later, is when certain triggers and certain things start causing um, you to uh, notice a difference. So for example, uh, obviously if we find a cancer, then the patient should um, have surgery. 
but there were other markers such as a significant number of larger polyps, a change, you know, this is a sudden change, especially then if the polyps start causing symptoms. Um, you would have thought many polyps would cause symptoms, but they, they usually don't. But that's another indicative finding that shows that there's probably underlying cancer somewhere. And that's when we intervene. So most patients will get past their 20s without having to have their colectomy. And, and that's obviously important from so many different aspects, obviously, of a patient's life and, and, uh, and disease and, and how they cope with, with, with surgery. But as you say, it just relies on regular surveillance. And in that period coming up to um, adult transition, patients have usually had a yearly colonoscopy. Um, uh, there are guidance where if subsequent yearly colonoscopy is negative with very small amounts of polyp load, then you could increase that to two yearly. But we're, um, we're currently looking for change. And this is why the regular surveillance by a regular team is so important to make sure that that is documented and, and the comparison is able to be made. Okay, so I think you've kind of answered um, my next question, actually. But can you tell us how to proceed if we have to scope these patients on our colonoscopy list? I mean, you obviously can't remove or even biopsy every polyp if there's hundreds in the bowel. So, you know, what should you be looking for when you're surveilling these patients? And how can you tell if there is high-grade dysplasia without biopsying each polyp? Okay, well, there's, there's lots to talk about here, so I'll, I'm glad I've covered a little bit of it. I think the main thing is, is when you proceed is to, first of all, make sure that um, you are aware of what happened last time, what the last patient, last uh, reports were for the patient's lower and upper GI endoscopy. Because what you're doing here is, is you're looking for change, you're looking for differences. As you say, you can't biopsy every polyp. There should usually be um, some indicative histology from the duodenum uh, if there is polyps there. But it's to make sure that you're aware of what the last report was. So when you go in, you know what to expect. So from the lower GI point of view, you know what operation the patients have had. Have they not had an operation? Have they had an um, ileorectal anastomosis? If so, how far, how much rectum is in situ still? Um, because there, that's the area that you really want to concentrate on. If they have a pouch, um, you need to make sure that you use um, a thin scope, such as a gastroscope, because the ileoanal anastomosis can be quite tight and patients can feel very uncomfortable trying to pass an adult even or even paediatric colonoscope through that. And also, if you're performing a pouchoscopy test, it's so important to be able to retrovert the scope to identify the anal transition zone in a small area, you know, you, you're in a pouch. You, what you don't want to be using is a large colonoscope. Uh, so a gastroscope would be ideal for that to make sure that you visualise that transition zone um, because of there's the instance, although pouch cancer is rare, Three quarters, we know, know again by retrospective studies showing that three quarters of patients um, develop the cancers in that zone. So that's why really good retroversion in a pouch is important. Then what you're looking for is differences, changes. Has one polyp really got big? Has one polyp looked bad? And it's this recognition before of contact bleeding, loss of um, villus um, pattern, ulceration, depression, these sort of things that we've learned about with Paris classification and loss of mucosal patterns. So these are the kind of things where you want to start targeting biopsies if you are going to. And uh, the um, and then we move on to the upper 
GI surveillance. And this is something not to be afraid of if, if you are, because I think a lot of people feel they're not unable to survey patients with duodenal polyposis because they're unable to use a duodenoscope. And I think part of the article which I've shown hopefully with a, a picture is that what you should get used to doing is using a cap with a, a, an endoscope because a gastroscope with a cap allows you to survey not just the duodenum, not just the stomach, but also the um, the ampulla as well if you place a cap on the end because the um, cap on the end of the scope allows you to just to push the mucosa out the way and see the ampulla in about 94% of patients with FAP. So rather than using a duodenoscope, use a gastroscope with a cap. And again, it's very similar to what was seen last time. Count how many polyps, the size, and is there an polyp as well? And have a really good look in the stomach just to make sure that there's no flat type polyps in the stomach. There will be fundal cystic polyps. They're a diversion. They're sometimes a distraction. And it's very important to know the only thing really that they indicate usually is that there's a slightly increased chance of gastric cancer. So if there's gastric fundal polyps, make sure that you have a good look at the... Um, distal stomach and then go on to survey the duodenum and ampulla using a, a, a cap and then once that's all put together um, refer to your modified Spiegelman score to try and um, uh, and then just calculate when they need to be uh, seen again and again taking a biopsy is only really helpful if there's a, a really abnormal one is there a loss of um, mucosal pattern is there a loss of villus pattern is there a depressed polyp is there one that's bleeding if there's been a previous biopsy of the polyps, we probably don't really encourage repeat biopsy. But if something's significantly changed, like one polyp's got big or changed significantly, then yeah, that's the one to biopsy. But you don't want to start taking lots of random biopsies of tiny polyps because it won't change the management. That's, uh, that's really useful to know. Um, so moving on, in your review paper, you touch upon the use of capsule endoscopy for surveillance and mention that this uh, test can't confidently identify duodenal or ampullary polyps. Now, could you explain why capsule endoscopy might not be the best test? Yeah, it's twofold really. First of all is the, I suppose the disease itself is the cancers that develop in FAP and the, uh, I suppose mainly the polyposis is, is, is on that duodenal loop, that 12 inches of duodenum that um, form the, the, the loop in the, from the first to fourth part. And the um, duodenal cancers in FAP are rare and I suppose the strength of capsule endoscopy is really that bit of small bowel past where endoscopy, uh, upper GI endoscopy reaches. So for um, example, it's, it, that's, you know, it was designed to look at duodenal uh, and then uh, ileal um, lesions. And what happens is it's, it's such a small place. So when a, when a capsule is passed into the duodenum, it's a very rapid sort of uh, movement of the, of the capsule it goes past you know in a matter of um, seconds and remember a capsule only takes a picture every half a second and then and then what you're worried as well is that a capsule is a forward or backward depending on which way it's pointing uh, device similar to a, a standard gastroscope and the ampulla is to the side and slightly back usually on you know hidden under a fold so as you know and then as Rather than, than putting that theory to the test, the series of 23 FAP patients undergoing capsule endoscopy, only four out of the patients with the, with duodenal, you know, 11 patients with adenomas actually had their ampulla identified. 
and then um, and then the, it wasn't seen in the other twenty three patients. So it's it's the wrong disease and wrong device. Yeah, you know, the this, this, the device isn't the, the right thing for the disease. Though it sounds like small bowel capsule, non invasive, and it would be a great way to do it. But sadly, the evidence um, doesn't help. And I think what we need to then do and what we're with at the moment is conventional endoscopy. And I think what is important on when patients attend, especially for GI procedures or if they've had um, difficulty before, is to make sure that the patients are who are coming in um, frequently every year, sometimes every six months, have adequate sedation planning beforehand because the um, uh, patients who need regular surveillance, they need to make sure they engage the endoscopy units and not be in fear of their endoscopic tests, which they may find distressing and make sure that they are um, have the time, uh, the station, um, if, if required, their choice. And um, so to make sure that what the moment we've got, which is uh, standard um, uh, upper GI and lower GI endoscopy uh, is performed in, in the best way for the patient to re-engage each year. Okay, that's um, also really very useful to know. Now, before we run out of time, I have one last question for you. Uh, The diagnosis of FAP can be fairly devastating to patients, um, especially when they get diagnosed so young and when they hear of the risk for cancer, even with um, prophylactic surgery. So what advice would you impart to gastroenterologists who are seeing these patients? Like, What information do you think is important to get across to these patients? Oh, um, I think if we're going to see patients for the first time or they're transitioning from uh, a paediatric service to an adult service is to make sure that they understand the team that's looking after them. So I think try not to see patients alone. Try and make sure that they see them with either yourself or the, the surgeon. They may not need to meet them again, but they, at least they, they've met people and know the face. If they do their surgery, of course, then they really need to make sure that they're aware who the colorectal surgeon may be in the trust. So it's to make sure that they know their team and if the nursing team that looks after patients with family history, if uh, your trust or your team has one, then obviously that's really important. And it's, it's to make sure that they, um, they're they there. And obviously, by definition, it's familial adult polyposis is to make sure that you are, have not just time for the patient, but as part of their family as well. You should have contact to a genetics team, which might be a tertiary centre. You may need tertiary um, help at some point, whether that be as an initial assessment, ongoing assessment, oral assessment. A lot of the time is to make sure that patients do have some form of choice and to make sure that they understand that. And I think I think the patients can, um, some patients would want quite happily want to travel. Some patients would be very keen to be treated centrally or have a hybrid. So maybe every other colonoscopy or every other uh, upper GI endoscopy is done between teams to make sure that they're aware of where they may go if they need surgery. And I, and I think knowing that they always have a port of call, the endoscopist is probably the most common person the patients see. So although they may be under uh, one gastroenterologist, it's the endoscopist that sees them every year. And the patients I have under me, who I've known for all the 12 years I've been a consultant now, um, have been seen every year and, and developed and we, and we know and, and the, that when you know that they're coming, that you want to make sure that they have um, an important um, endoscopy procedure. And I think every now and again, it does also help re-emphasising what's going on. 
because the initial consultation, there's so much information there sometimes that they can um, be really difficult to uh, engage with it. And so it takes, it's, it's a process of two or three, four consultations. Some people might need a lot more. And also you need review every now and again as well, especially after patients have had surgery to know what's to expect and and ongoing from there. So it's trying to get as many of the team there as possible to make sure that the patients have got a port of call to know what they want to know in the and what they're able to take in. And it's it's this idea of individualised management is what we're looking for. And I think although, you know, we have guidelines, um, which are great, Patients are so different on what they want, what they're going to turn up for, what they're willing to accept to turn up for at different parts of their life, especially when uh, we have consultants who have are able to develop more of a relationship with someone. It's very important that over that time period, you you know the patients and treat them that um, is what they would accept and to make agreements um, with them as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. That's um, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for um, taking the time out of your busy schedule tonight to join me on this podcast today. I think all that information was really useful and I think it'll be highly educational for all the readers. So the review paper is currently available to read online and is free of charge on the Frontline Gastroenterology website. Thank you again, Professor Hopper, for joining me today. Thank you for your time as well. I hope that's helpful. Mm-hmm.